Well, good evening once again to everyone present in church and those following us online. I want to welcome you to our Wednesday night service. Before we get into the worship, I'd like to lead us in prayer. Uh, there's so many needs uh, locally and around the world that we need to remember. Uh, the best you can do for someone, apart from calling them, is to talk to God about the, the needs of the people. It helps you as well as it helps the individuals that are in need. So tonight, please join me in prayer as we uh, come before the presence of the Lord and ask his blessing on this service tonight. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we give you thanks tonight. Once again, for the privilege you've given to us that we can come before your throne. That we can bring these needs, O oh God, before you. We thank you for those that are present in church here tonight. And those that are following us online, we pray that you'll minister strength and help to them during this service. Lord, remember your work here in North America, in Canada, the United States, and even in Mexico, Father, where there is effort being made to promote this gospel. We bring them all before you, Father. Pray for our work in Guyana and any outreach that's being done. We pray that you'll stand with Brother Murphy as he labors in that part of the world. Today we think of the work of God in, in Haiti and in Africa and in India. All of these places that are bombarded with all kinds of situations, Father, spiritual and carnal. We pray you'll be with your people. Yes. Saints living in parts of the world that are, that is devastated by fires and floods. Father, we pray you'll be with your people. Please encourage our hearts. Lord, as we head towards the end of this age, as we preach a message heralding the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus. We pray, Father, that you help us to see the importance of recognizing the urgency of living for you and serving you in the midst of this evil world, Father. Help us, we pray. Bring our service tonight before you. We ask you to bless the worship and give me the right words to share to your people tonight, Father. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. And bless your wonderful name.
strength and you are my song you are everything to me Beautiful song and almost impossible but possible concept of trusting God and leaning not unto our own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Uh, some the Proverbs as Solomon said, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding and it shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones uh, tonight i have before me um, matthew chapter 15 and if i did not have matthew chapter 15 i would probably be talking to you from my heart from my memory uh, from what I feel God wants me to tell you the Bible that I have is a King James version of the Bible take this Bible away and we would I would say 90% of Christians would be at a uh, would be immobilized in their effort to preach the gospel and to follow a principle. The early church, of course, never had the New Testament. They were called the early church, the New Testament church, nickname, but they never had a New Testament. And this book is, I hate to use the terminology, it's like a gun. It can protect you or it can help you to commit suicide. The same book that can save individuals is responsible for the destruction of many, many individuals. The church Jesus started on the day of Pentecost did not survive long enough. Before a few years were gone, the work of God was undermined by false doctrine. Today, I like to 
talk a little bit about the importance of doctrine if the Lord can help me. I'm not sure what title I'd give the message. I never title a message before I preach. I always decide after I preach what the title of the message is going to be, and sometimes it's a hard thing to do. This, this church that Jesus started on the day of Pentecost, Jesus all, had already prophesied about this church. Before I get into Matthew 15, I'm going to back up to chapter 13 of Matthew, where Jesus spoke a parable. What is a parable? A parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. It can be told and simple minds would enjoy the story of it, but beyond the natural little story form of a parable, it always has a spiritual significance. And here Jesus spoke, first of all, he talked about the parable of the sower that went forth to sow seeds. And when the disciples asked him a question in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 10, the disciples came and said, Lord said unto him, Why speakest unto them in parables? It's very peculiar that Jesus, when he was on earth, he preached a gospel that he did not really was pleased for everyone to understand. So he spoke in parabolic language. And in, in his message was veiled in little story form and if you were carnal, all you'll hear is the story. You wouldn't understand the meaning of it. But his disciples wondered why would he do that? He said, why, they said, why speakest to them in parables? And Jesus said unto them, because it is given unto you, to, it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not. See, the big question is, in a world filled with a lot of Christians, in a world filled with Pentecostal Christians as well as apostate Christians, non-Pentecostal Christians, a world filled with denominations of all sort, and then stepping away from that, a world filled with all kinds of religions. To me, one of the religions in disguise, and you might disagree with me, is sports. Um, sports has a lot of idols, and sports have, includes a lot of religions. You can be an atheist, enjoy sports. You can be a Hindu, enjoy sports. You can be a Pentecostal, enjoy sports. You can be in the body of Christ, so-so, so-called, and you enjoy sports. You're maybe the only person in the world that, don't, that really don't care about sports is Brother Singh. And whether you, your, your idol is a baseball star or it's a... Um, um, basketball star or whatever, it's a religion that people get excited about. They put their spirit in it. If we have the enthusiasm that exists in the stadium, 
present in the church, we'll have lively services. We have people that are zealous of serving God. But people are not enthused about serving God because they're involved in all kinds of religion. And if I were God, and I've said this so many times, would I want my people, some to be Hindu, some to be Muslim, some to be uh, Christian, some to be Buddhist, some to be atheist? Or am I particular about what my people believe in? While I'm a Christian, while the Baptist said he's a Christian, the Catholic said he's a Christian, the Anglican said he's a Christian, the Pentecostal church, which is so many different Pentecostal church, they all said they're Christians. Are all these people accepted by God? Big question. Would God send, and I've said this so many times, seven individuals or a hundred individuals to one city, all preaching contrary to what the other one preaches, and they all are sent of God to build his work? It is important that we understand that Jesus told his disciples, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. He had a handful of disciples, and he said, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. But the masses in Israel were spiritually blind. The Pharisees were spiritually blind. The doctors of religion in that time were spiritually blind. The Sadducees were spiritually blind. The Essenes were spiritually blind. Most involved in religion at that time was, were spiritually blind, except this bunch of little rebels that Jesus had following him, fishermen. Some probably never went much into school. And Jesus told them, he said, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. So I can make a statement that pleases me, and I can tell this church, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. But the Baptist says the same. The Jehovah's Witness tells their people, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. So the Jehovah's Witness, and the Seventh-day Adventists, and the Baptists, and the Mormon, and the Pentecostals, everybody tells their church, Blessed are your eyes for the sea. Who really is seeing? Because some believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. Some believe that there is, that the doctrine of the Trinity teaches one God in three parts. Opposite to that, another group believes that there is one God that manifests himself in three different forms. So one day is the Father, then the next day becomes the Son, next day becomes the Holy Ghost. Some believe in, a, in one, in, in two in the Godhead. Some even believe in seven in the Godhead. Is doctrine important? Is, is your belief in something important? Can I say honestly, and God approves it, 
I can say what I want, but I can say, blessed are your eyes, saints, in this assembly, and those listening to me. But will God say the same? If Jesus was here tonight, would he say, blessed are your eyes for the sea? Because he's not talking about these literal things that are stuck in your head called eyeballs. He's talking about a spiritual vision. That which you see that affects your life and you start to see. You know, in my yard, and when I go out to the backyard, all the squirrels are running. But there's one black one that would not run away from me. And then suddenly, when I'm almost on top of him, then he takes off. And I discovered that he has one eye only that sees. Because I'm looking at a squirrel doing that, but you, you know, they're children of God that see only with one eye. We see what we want to see. If it does not change, uh, demand a change in our lifestyle, we see what we want to see and avoid seeing what we should see. See, the scripture tells us that if our eyes be single, it means it's focused only on God. It is important. And so when Jesus talked to these uh, disciples, he said, Blessed are your eyes for they see. He said, It is given, given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to them, the Pharisees, the best religious people in that time, he says, it's not given to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, I wonder if a Pharisee heard Jesus saying that, what he would do. Because his papa was a Pharisee, his grandfather was a Pharisee, they all grew up in the Pharisee church, you needed a job, become a part of the Pharisee church. But if you follow Jesus, you'll be branded as a heretic and you'll be seen as an unlearned and ignorant man following that rebel called Jesus. So tonight, I'm asking the question, can I say blessed are our eyes for they see? And in reality, God would approve that. And then as you go on in this chapter, uh, he, he went on further on in this parable, and he tells us here, he says, the kingdom of heaven in verse 24, he said, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in the field. When Jesus came, he is the son of man that sowed good seed. He planted true doctrine. He planted the word of God that God, his father, gave him to plant. But here is the parable that he is explaining what's going to happen. He says, the son of man sowed good seed in the field, but while men slept, or men fell into spiritual slumber, or men just died. Faithful men died. The enemy came, that is, the devil came, and quickly sowed tares among the wheat. I remember, you know, I'm a person full of a lot of stories. And I remember uh, I was in Elkville, Illinois, Chandra and I, and I think Nadine was with us, 
and there was a brother, his name was Brother Betts, driving us through uh, the, the wheat field in Illinois. And we're going through the wheat field, but by the side of the road, there was some wheat growing. And I told Brother Betts, I said, can you stop and let me grab some of that? I want to see what it looks like. He says, the, 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 the ones at the side of the road, I said, yes. He said, that's not real wheat. We call it bastard wheat. The Bible call it tears. It looks like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. I said, then don't stop. I don't want to grab it. Because it looks like the real thing. And what the devil has done, he has fabricated an impression among Christians in particular that looks like a genuine Christian serving God. And today, as I'm talking, the world is too vast. And so I'm not going to be directing my talk in regards to the Hindus and the Muslims and every other religion. I'm not even going to direct my talk to those that are part of the Christianity. I'm going to think about us and what we call the body of Christ. And so I'd like to speak a little bit. And while I say things, I want us to examine ourselves and see where we stand. Can the Lord say, blessed are your eyes, or I am just telling myself. You know, self-praise, someone said, is no recommendation. You saying, you're in the body of Christ does not make that come to pass because you said it. Somebody else said it doesn't make any difference. What does God say? And so Jesus said, when the good man sowed the good seed in the field, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And it seems, if you look at the entire parable, it says, the, when Jesus is explaining this, he says in verse 37, And he answered and said unto them, He that sowed the good seed is the Son of Man, which is Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now say, in the world, their seed that Jesus sowed that was good seed, their seed that the devil came later on as men died and good apostles died and went off the scene. The devil came and sowed tares among the wheat. And the enemy that sowed them is the devil. He says the harvest when they are reap is not today. It's the end of the world or the consummation of the age. It's when the Lord comes back and he brings this world, come, concludes this world's existence and Jesus returns, that's when we'll finally understand the difference between the wheat and the tares. But today, we'll examine ourselves a little bit by comparing some areas in Scripture. And so, understanding all of that, Jesus said in verse 41, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels and shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend 
and them which do iniquity. Now I spent some time to show that I think and I've concluded that iniquity is any form of worship or any form of practices within the church that God has not approved. And so we're praying. And I wish that the Lord will give us direction. And I was telling Chandri that I believe the Lord will give direction. That there's coming a time in Jesus before the end of the age that he will come back and one foot would be set on the land and one foot would be set on the sea and he would utter his voice. Now I'm leaving Matthew chapter chapter 13. I'm keeping my finger in Matthew chapter 15 and I'm going all the way down to the book of Revelation. Find it for me. Revelation chapter 10. And so, while you're finding that, I'm going to take a sip of water. In Revelation, the 10th chapter, and Revelation is a beautiful book, and we can't get into this book. We can never fully understand it. But chapter 1, chapter 2, coming all the way, and I'm not going to even get into all the details. After the Lord judges the world, and the seven trumpets are sounding, and judgments are being released on the earth, after the seventh angel sounded in chapter 9 and verse 13, I'd like the time to come when I said, okay, I can't preach anymore. Sister Chandy takes over. Or <clears throat> I must make this comment. Um, Sister Aziman called me and she says she was really blessed by Brother John's message on Saturday night. And she was really blessed by Sister Carol's preaching testimony she said I just want you all to know so back to my subject here <clears throat> and in chapter 9 it tells you the seventh, sixth angel sounded and before the seventh angel could sound um, it says here in chapter 10 and I saw a mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was about his head. And his face was as the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Does this resemble someone in chapter 1? That's what Jesus is described as. So I believe, to the best of my ability, that chapter 10, this messenger that came down, came down the word messenger actually is translated um, angel, or angel is translated messenger. It says, he had a little book in his hand, and this book was open. I believe, I would like to think, that that little book that he has is the explanation of the book of Revelation. It's that little book that was sealed... Uh, it closed in the in the fifth chapter, I think it was. We're speculating. But whatever this book has, it has a message. And he had one foot, right foot on the sea and the left foot on the earth. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roared. Jesus is described 
and I'm looking at this and speculating because in chapter 1, he is described as this one, his feet like fine brass that is burned in a fire, and his face as the sun shineth in its strength. So when I'm thinking chapter 10, it's like describing the same thing. And then verse 3 says, he roars like a lion, is Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah? So I see this as, as important to note. And when he, when he had cried or roared, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, we have believed, and I still do believe, that Jesus must come back and recommission the church. Because the church right now is apostate. You call yourself whatever, but I see the church is apostate. The church is full of paganism. The church is full of worldliness. The church has taken on the spirit of so many idols in society in our day. And when Jesus comes, and he utters his voice and he roars like a lion with the book open up. He's explaining to a bunch of individuals what that book says and he's giving them a message. And seven thunders is a whole lot stronger than seven trumpets. A trumpet is a single watchman blowing his trumpet. But seven thunders is shaking the earth. And I believe there will be a ministry coming on the scene ahead of us that will be receiving a message from Jesus. You and I were talking about this. <clears throat> and when the seven thunders utter their voices, John was about to write this message. You know, I really wish he wrote it and sent it to me. So I can understand what was said. These men are uttering their voices. And John was about to write it. And the angel says, don't write it. Seal it up. It's not for now. It's for the future. So when I say, you know, we got a message and nobody's going to change it. You'll be locked in to an apostate concept of God. Because there is coming a time when it's going to change to become more explosive, more informative, more revealing, more challenging, more powerful, and that's in the future. This message that was sealed up is to be preached. The book that was sealed on the backside with seven seals must be opened up. And we will understand what it means. Somebody says, well, I understand prophecy. No, you can't. You can never fully understand prophecy because when I go back into the Bible, men of old that studied prophecies did not understand it until it was fulfilled. Even the wise Daniel, when he saw the fulfillment of certain prophecies, he understood. But when he prophesied and saw visions of the future, and he asked God, can you please tell me? The Lord says, seal it up. It's not for your time. We cannot understand what God has for the future. 
prophecies must be opened up in its own time. And so the seven thunders will utter their voice and they will come prior to the conclusion of the church age. Because as you look at them, they utter their voice, they, what they're saying is sealed up. And in verse 7 it says, And in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God shall be finished. So these individuals are sounding, and the mystery of God is finished. The mystery of God is the church, and it's coming to an end. And so when I'm thinking of the time that we're living in, we're living in a time where we cannot afford to hold on to apostate concepts. And there will come a time that we must understand the reality of who we are. We cannot believe in fantasies. Paul warned about that, and I'm not forgetting Matthew chapter 15, but Paul in writing to Titus, here in Titus to chapter 1, uh, he writes and he says here about an elder, he says, if any there be, uh, what is an elder? He says, for this cause have I left thee in Crete, chapter 1, Titus, verse 5, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. Now, as far as he was concerned, Titus was an elder. Did Titus survive to the end? I'm not sure, because when Paul was in prison, Titus had departed also. I'm not sure. And he goes on here, he says, what's an elder? An elder must be blameless. We all can say that word. Say it. Blameless. Try it again. Blameless. We must be blameless. Uh, that is, an elder must be blameless and he must be the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. There'll come a time when this would be not accepted. Why must you say wife? I saw a little post the other, just recently, this week. He talks about the mother, the source of life. And someone says, take down that sign. It was in the public. Someone posted that, you know, these signs that you see by the side of the road, uh, like uh, yard waste pickup and such and such time, somebody posts uh, that Mother's Day is coming up the source of our life. And someone says, take it up. Because not everybody believed the Mother is a source of life. I still believe that. I believe a mother brings to birth. I don't believe that, that you can ever get rid of that because the kingdom of God will have that. And he goes on here and he talks about this elder and then he says, verse 9, he'll holding fast the form of uh, the faithful word as he has been taught. The early church had a common doctrine that passed from one person to the other. And an individual must be taught. It is necessary, if the church will have a future, 
that individuals be taught not necessarily all the tradition pra traditional practices, but godly principles that must be established in our midst based on the Word of God. And that must move on from generation to generation. And Paul went on here, he says, as he has been taught that he may be by sound doctrine. <clears throat> Question is, is doctrine, in, doctrine important? I believe it is. Is sound doctrine important? Yes, it is. And then he goes on, why Paul, why are you telling <coughs> Titus to do this? And he comes on here, he says, not giving heed, verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables. Now here was a Gentile man that was coming under the influence of Jewish fables. And I worry about us, I worry about the body of Christ, I worry about Gospel Assembly Church, churches, because I feel we can come to a place where we give in to Jewish fables and Gentile fables. It's one thing to have Jewish fables, it's another thing to bring in Gentile fables into the work of God. We'll never produce the Bride of Christ. The church will never, by incorporating forms of iniquity, will never produce a Bride of Christ, and we'll be numbered with those that the Lord has said, Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Doctrine is important. And while men slept, when good men were dying, the work of God suffered a spiritual collapse. And today, we must come to the place of being able to examine everything. And Paul says, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Because it's the truth that will set you free. And someone, I made a statement, you can't preach the truth and live a lie. Remember that statement? Where did I get that from? Did I remember what I told you when I got, where I got it from? Anybody? I got it from nowhere. I got it while I was sitting here and preaching. It came to me that you can't preach the truth and then live a lie. You can't be a spiritual schizophrenic. In the day you're Dr. Jekyll, in the night you're, uh, you're Mr. Hyde. While you're in church, you're Dr. Jekyll. When you leave church, you become Mr. Hyde. We've got to have a consistent and persistent Christian testimony. Someone took that and they said, oh yes, it's good to preach the truth and live. Uh, it's something to reckon with, to preach the truth and live a lie. But suppose you're not preaching the truth. Well, if you're not preaching the truth, you'll come forth in the final resurrection. Simple as that. Do I believe I'm preaching the truth? Well, yes, I do. But so does a lot of other people. And that is why when I preach, you need to examine what I say. Because doctrine 
is important. And, and he says, not Jewish fables, unto the pure all things are pure, unto them which are defiled uh, and unbelieving is nothing pure. And he goes on, uh, Paul, uh, Paul went on to write to Timothy. Uh, back up one page in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, he says, and the things, chapter 2, verse 2, and the things that I was heard of me among many witnesses, he says, don't change it. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach other faithful men also. And in that chapter, Paul went on and he says how important it is to study. Now, think about it. Timothy, study. Little congregation, tonight we're not too bad. And everybody, everybody says study. Study, study what? Somebody tell me. Study what? See, when Paul was telling Timothy to study, what was available? Study what Paul said. Did they have a New Testament? No. They just had the Old Testament. They have the Septuagint version, probably. But study what? So Paul meant that, that Timothy must go study Jeremiah? No. 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 What must they study? The things that I was heard of me among many witnesses. The same. That is what you need to study. And if I'm to tell you to study, don't pick up a commentary to go study. But to sing your one exalted person, yes. You, never, you haven't heard me uh, commend myself like that, right? I'm an exalted person. No, I'm not. Study the messages I preach. Don't just listen to them. Study. How do you study? Take a book, take your Bible, take your notepad, and you study. Because you're trying to find out what you need to incorporate in your life to change your life. Because while Paul was telling Timothy this to study, he says, uh, verse 2, the things you have heard of me, the same commit thou to faithful men. Verse 15, study the same things. Verse 16, you're to shun. Now, I'm going to say some things there. Shun profane and vain babblings. What are you talking about? Paul He's talking about anyone in that society that's preaching contrary to him. If Paul was living today, he would discourage you taking a commentary to study. If Paul was living today, he will not allow anyone to go to a Bible seminary out there in this world to study anything. If Paul was living today, you got to get his message and study that to save you. He would not even do what I'm doing here tonight, preaching from some, a book in front of me. Even though he would stand on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, he must preach present truth 
in order to give people a chance to escape the evils of this world. And then he goes on to use an example. He says, shun profane and vain babbling. You see, a man that does not preach the truth is a vain babbler. A person that preaches the gospel that God had wrong is a vain babbler. A person that preaches the wrong doctrine of hell is a vain babbler. A person that tells you your soul is immortal and if you die you flip off and go somewhere else is a vain babbler. A brother saying, I'm not a vain babbler. I'm just in the body of Christ and I'm so glad I'm in the body. I found the body and the body found me and I'm doing wonderful in the body. Well, if you're not living according to scripture, you might be a vain babbler. Because that's what Jesus was about to tell the people in Matthew 15. But before I go there, here the Lord says he's naming individuals. He don't have the kind of mass crowds today. If Paul had to go name individuals and he was living today, he'll get a whole day writing names and commentaries and organizations. Paul believed the message he preached was right. And the message that everyone preached contrary to what he was preaching was incorrect. I believe the message I preach is right. And I believe anyone that criticizes and condemns what I preach is incorrect. Could I be wrong? Yes, we all could be wrong. But if I don't believe in something, I'll fall for anything. And I believe that God touches my mind. I believe God is good. God opens my understanding. And he says, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth do err, teaching the resurrection is past. One doctrine wrong. And they have overthrown everyone that listened to them and believed them. Their faith is overthrown. When you sit down and read a book that is not inspired of God, your faith could be threatened and overthrown. Amen. 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 And Hymenaeus and Philetus, they preach one false doctrine. I got five minutes, and so I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 15, because the Pharisees came. And they argue with Jesus. And Jesus said here, they said, why your disciples are not washing their hands? According to tradition. I look at Brother John tonight. He came in. Is that a color shirt? Not exactly a color, but a design shirt. With a little design, Brother John. Stripe. Yeah, he wears a striped shirt. Sinner. You know... Years ago, we will call him a sinner. Because unless you do the white, I wear a white shirt. I'm just addicted to that almost until it becomes obsessive. But unless you wear this, you're not a part of the body of Christ. We have formed a religion that sounds like a cult. Because if I have to tell you how to comb your hair and how to look, you see, I should preach modesty and you figure it out. And if you have the Holy Ghost, you'd know what to do with modesty. Amen. You're a child of God. 
You do whatever you do, think about pleasing God, and that's important. Amen. Yes. Have we built a cult? It's a big question. It's a question to ask. Have we tried to build a cult because we, we do things a certain way, everything? When you look at us, we are not getting healed. <clears throat> we are not getting delivered. When we pray for our kids, get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they come and we tell them what to say. We can't build a church like that. Time is gone on me, but Jesus said <clears throat> to the, to the, uh, the Pharisees, uh, scribes and Pharisees, they're <clears throat> criticizing Jesus. And he says, you hypocrites, verse 7. Well, did Isaiah prophesy concerning, he says, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and honor it me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. My question is, do we worship God with our lips and sing songs from our mouths, but our hearts are not following after God? Do we trust in the Lord with all our hearts? Or we trust in what the system says and what the world says? Tonight, may God help us because it is important. Personal examination is important. He says, the people draw an eye unto me with their mouth, honor it with mid lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me. In other words, our worship and service to God would be in futility. In vain do they worship me because the doctrines we teach, the practices we promote are the commandments of men. It is important that we understand that. I'm not going to turn to the scripture, but in Jeremiah, the 28th chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, God had called him, and I'm so glad I'm not living into the Old Testament, but God has the same ways he works on us today. He doesn't have a wooden yoke on my neck, but he's got a yoke. Sometimes I wish it was a real little wooden yoke and nothing else. The kind of yoke God puts on men today to have them to preach the gospel, it's not easy. And so Jeremiah had a wooden yoke and he was preaching that 70 years Israel will be kept, will go on into, will be in captivity for 70 years. I'll turn to that scripture quickly in Jeremiah the 28th chapter. Quickly turn with me here. In Jeremiah the 28th chapter, and <clears throat> Jeremiah is standing there, and he went to the house of God. He went this day to church. Now a prophet scarcely goes to church. He comes when he's got a message to preach. And so when Jeremiah turned up here into this meeting that was going on, 
I don't know what kind of meeting was going on, but there was a meeting. And Hananiah was like a main speaker. And Jeremiah was there. And Hananiah, the son of Azur, verse 1, the prophet which was at Gibeon, spake to Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priest and all the people. What did him Hananiah say? He said, The Lord of hosts said, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I'll bring again all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar had taken away. In other words, Hananiah got up. Here is a man preaching 70 years. God told Jeremiah 70 years. Hananiah got up. And he says, two years. I don't know how he did it. But he was stirring the people. Because he had the people on his side. He was a charismatic preacher. I imagine Jeremiah would stand up like this. And he says, I got a message from the Lord. He would send uh, all the people that has gone to Babylon. is staying there for 70 years. I just wanted you all to know that's what God told me. But I imagine him and I would have a lot of action. He would say, everybody say amen. And everybody say amen. He says, I want to tell you something that will give you your heart a joy and satisfaction. He says, our family and everybody has gone to Babylon. They're not gone for 70 years. They're gone for two years. Don't worry with this idiot carrying a yoke on his neck. And he was so impressive that he said, uh, when he said all of that, then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah, verse 5, in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord, he says, Amen. Have you gone to a meeting and everybody, somebody's getting up and make a ruckus of themselves and then you got to say Amen because you look funny if you don't? And that's what Jeremiah was doing. He's looking funny because he knows this man is not saying the right thing. But everybody is saying amen. They're shouting. They're ready to dance. He can't even dance because he's going to hit people down with the yoke. And he's standing there and Hananiah said, Jeremiah said, amen, the Lord do so. And he says, you know, I want to tell you something. If you say this, that's wonderful. But all the prophets in verse 9, which prophesied before you, didn't talk of peace. They talk about the judgment of God. So you're strange. When your word is fulfilled, then I believe you. <laughs> you know, I like Jeremiah because he didn't go home to say that. He said that when he and I was finished yapping. And I've gone into situations like that before, when the preacher is finished getting the people shouting, then I got up and criticized what he said, and nobody's shouting anymore. Are you following me? All right, let's, let's, let's finish this. And then Jeremiah said, when the words of that prophet comes to pass, then I believe him. 
When your word, Hananiah, comes to pass, I'd believe it. And hear what Hananiah did. Hananiah the prophet took the yoke. He walked up to Jeremiah in front of all the people, took the yoke off his neck, the wooden yoke, and broke it. And he says, that's how God will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. I've been in churches where the preacher says, let's stand today and bind the devil. And Satan is sitting in the corner laughing. And they make their face funny and say, we bind the devil. Nobody can bind the devil except Jesus does when he comes back. You can resist the devil by not listening to what he tells you to do, like staying home from church. And then he will flee. After you violate what he's telling you, you disobey him for a few times and he's gone. But here is the bottom line and I'm closing with this. Jeremiah left, went home, very sad man. Can you imagine the whole convention? Nobody's coming to tell you give a good talk. Because you're not making them excited. You're walking away. And when he went home, the word of the Lord came unto him. And he says, you go and tell Hananiah some things for me, Jeremiah. Go tell him that in verse 15, Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. But everybody believed the Lord sent him. Jeremiah said, the Lord didn't send you. You got the people shouting. You got the people doing all kinds of stuff. God did not send you. But thou makest the people to trust in a lie. One of the most dangerous things we can do in the body of Christ is to make the people trust in a lie. Amen. Amen. And we know that it's a lie. We close our minds to reality, but we make the people trust in a lie. And you know what the scripture says in verse 17? So Hananiah, like Jeremiah told him, he died the same year in the seventh month. Today, men are not dropping dead, but men are dying spiritually. Because if you reject the truth and you want to continue to live the way you want, you will die spiritually. And you will, God will give you over to strong delusions that you believe a lie and be damned. Hananiah caused the people to trust in a lie. Hymenaeus and, Shem, and, Hymenaeus and Philetus caused the people to trust in a lie. And so is everyone in false religion. And I pray to God that it does not happen in our midst, even though it might already be happening we hope that God will help us not to let the people trust in the lie. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this Wednesday night. Help us, we pray. Lord, help us, we pray. As a body, as a fellowship. Raise up men that can have the courage to stand up and declare the truth. Help us not to trust in the lie. Go with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Bless our weekend, we ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.